Mitch and I, we're, we're brothers, but we come from a different family. This is a tall family, mine's shorter. So I have this lower to my level right here, praise God. Uh, I teach on the family. I, I, was, uh, I worked in the electric for 12 years, and I was an engineer, and I really liked what I did because uh, I hated school. I hated high school. I didn't like college. I don't like school. And so in school, I, I mostly made C's and D's and a few F's. And so all I want to do is play football and baseball and, uh, you know, go on a date, suck clips off somebody's face. And that was my five-year plan. Well, when I got out of high school, I uh, went to college. I'm the only one. My dad had 12 brothers and sisters. My father-in-law's got 12 brothers and sisters. Nobody in our family had gone to college. A lot of them hadn't even got out of high school. So my dad was going to make sure I'm going to be the first to go to college. So I enrolled in the University of Tennessee. God bless the big orange. And a year later, they wrote me a letter saying I can never, ever come back. Because I was a doofus when I went. And uh, I didn't know anything about it. So anyhow, Vietnam War is winding down. I get my draft notice. And so I get back out of the service. And I'm in love. I'm going to get married. So uh, I told my wife, my fiance at the time, I said, hey, let's get married. She said, I'm not going to marry until you have a real job. I said, I got a real job. I'm running a backhoe for a construction company. She said, no, you don't have any health insurance. I'm not going to marry unless you have a real job with health insurance. Do you feel safer with that one, Pastor? Uh, I think I do. Okay, but I want you to feel safe. Thank you. Oh, thank you for the padding. Thank you. Yes, it is. Ooh, yes, thank you. So anyhow, uh, I was married for 45 years and brought six babies and uh, had a good time, good run. Well, my wife went to heaven, you know, about two and a half years ago, and, uh, and so that sort of left me just by myself. So my family thought, I guess I just couldn't grow old and die. And so I have two relatives that live to be 100. I have an aunt in Topeka, Kansas this morning. She's 104, still makes quilts every day, still walks everywhere. She's really good. So I have long life in my family. It's not because we're holy. We're just too mean to die early. We're just mean as snot. So we live a long time. So I got to think, well, you know, I'm, I've still got some stuff I want to do. I don't think Jesus is coming back for a few more years. And I know we're in the last days, but I think we still have some things to do. So basically, bottom line is I fell in love again. And uh, Angel and I had worked on staff, her, her husband and I, and my wife and I, we worked on staff at the big church. We all got laid off at the same time, so we got an office together. We officed out of the same office about a year and a half, and, and then they started a great church in, in Broken Oklahoma, and they got about 3,000 people, and I'd speak for them every year. So long story short, we both lost our spouses. And so uh, when Denise died, she texted me. Everybody texted me. We'd been all over the country. Joe, I'm so sorry to hear about Denise. Said, yeah, it was kind of quick. Got a brain tumor. Three months later, she's gone. Didn't have any pain. She just tumor. We got it out, but it came back worse, and she fell asleep, didn't wake up. And so uh, everybody's trying to console me, and I don't want anybody to console me. And you got tired. Let me explain something. If you have anybody in your family that goes to heaven, just show up, cook something, clean the toilet, mow the grass. Don't say nothing. Just please don't say that. I'm so sorry. Well, I guess so. Well, I'm kind of sorry myself. And you get tired of saying stuff like, and it went on for months like, I'm tired of saying stuff. And I just kind of, I pulled back. So my kids put me in a house in a gated community. I didn't even know what a gated community was. I lived out in the country on the side of a mountain at a big barn house I built myself 35 years ago. And I like living out there. And the reason is that I don't have any neighbors. That's deep, isn't it? I don't have any neighbors. So I can do what I want to out there. I build a fire, shoot a gun, you know. I go to the bathroom off my porch if I want to. I don't have any neighbors. <laughs> it's just how it was. And so they put me in a gated community, which I hated. And I'm writing a really big checks, man. I'm 
man, I'm draining the bank account, but they think it was great. And so long story short, people kind of, everybody shows up when somebody dies, and they were wonderful. I love all the people that did, but after a while, they all disappear. Well, a few people hang on, and so Angel's one of them, since we knew each other really well, she'd gone through the same kind of hell I'd gone through. Hey, Joe, so sorry to hear this. You mind if I text you once a month? Sure, no problem. Well, I have fat thumbs. I don't text. And so I get a text every four to six weeks. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? I am good. How are the kids? They are fine. <laughs> Anything else? Nope. <laughs> and we did that for eight months. It's real short. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know? And so about nine months later, there's a phone call one night. And so she called and I recognized the voice. I hadn't heard her voice in 12 years. I said, hey, I recognize that southern voice, a good Georgia voice. And, and we talked and we laughed a lot. Now I'm, I'm in the back end of a big old house. I have half the house to myself. It shouldn't even been in the house, but it was nice. And I'm back there, got my office in the back end. So we're talking and laughing a lot. And so two of my daughters had moved back to take care of their mom. They didn't know she was going to die. Well, they're still living in Tulsa, my house, and think they're going to take care of me because they didn't think I was doing too good. I come out to get a drink of water, and I said, Dad, who are you talking to? I'm talking to Angel. An angel? Well, she is, but it's her name. Her name's Angel. I said, well, you sure are laughing a lot. Yeah, she's a funny Southern woman. We've sort of been through the same hell. We're just sort of reminiscing how God's brought us out of a mess, you know. And said, well, you sure are laughing a lot. I said, you already told me that. <laughs> well, you sure are laughing a lot. She's a funny lady. Two nights later, I come home to my house, and all six of my adult children are sitting at my kitchen table. I said, hey, what, what y'all doing? I'm not fixing anything to eat. I'll tell you that right now. I said, <laughs> I said no, Dad, we want to talk to you about Angel. What's wrong with Angel? It's not her, it's you. What's wrong with me? Dad, you should be talking to a woman that long on the phone. I said, well, last time I checked, half the planet's female. <laughs> so the chances are pretty good I'm going to talk to a woman eventually. Yeah, but that's an awful lot. Well, she's putting in 10-hour days, and she calls, she gets off work at 9 o'clock, and I talk to her when she drives home a long way. So we're just talking. And so they said, well, Dad, we think you need to cut that back. Now, I'm a, I'm a father of six adult kids. They're all adults, born again, spirit-filled, out of college, and have jobs. Got kids of their own. I'm an adult. And so, but I'm kind of a little wacky now. I said, well, if that offends you, I'll, I'll stop talking to her. So I called in and said, hey, my kids are upset I'm talking to you. I don't know what the problem is. You live five states away. It's not like we're ever going to see each other. You know, we're just talking. I said, so I need to cut it back to once a week. And she said, no problem. I'll just call once a week. So for the next three weeks, I called Angel once a week on a Saturday night, and we talked. And then I thought, Pfft. So I brought my kids over for dinner, fixed them a really good dinner, fed them good, we laughed, had a big time. I said, well, kids, let me tell you why I had you over. Uh, I need to let you know that I'm going to start talking to Angel every night. I, I like talking to her. She's a very funny, educated Southern woman, had a big ministry. She knows what it's like to go through this mess. And so I like talking to her. And so if you have a problem with that, this is going to have to deal with it the best you can. So my kids got real quiet. My two daughters who were living, they said, well, Dad, we're probably going to have to move out. Praise God. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be funny. I thought, if you think that hurts me, you got another thought coming. Because that means I can control the TV remote. I can walk around in my underwear all day long, pass gas when I want to, and I don't have to be nice to anybody. And that's exactly what I said as nice as I could. And so, so I realized that, uh, you know, when I married my first wife, nobody cared. Nobody showed up. I paid some guy $10, we got married. That lasted 45 years. That's a pretty good deal. The second time I got married, all hell showed up. I mean, it was like 
I, I'm going to join the FBI and the CIA and, and, and have to work for the president. So I had to visit with everybody. So I had to fly to Florida to meet Angel's family. So the first person I met when I went out had to meet her pastor, great pastor. He's going to be my pastor in three months. So I get to interview him. And so he grilled me. He's very nice, very sweet, but he asked some very pointed questions. And I thought, well, let's go for it. And then I had to go meet the mayor of Lakeland, Florida. The mayor, the, the, the real mayor. He's got 12 kids of his own. Good, godly, spirit-filled man, good businessman. So he talked to me for an hour, and then his wife showed up, and I had to talk to her for an hour and a half. And she asked a lot of pointed questions, like who I am, and what size of my shoes, and how old I am, and what's my blood type. There was a lot of questions. Then I had to meet her mother, then I had to meet her brothers, and her brother, he, when he came home, he's a very successful businessman, so I'm waiting. He's here, so well, he's here now, and so I'm trying to eat dinner. Well, he comes in and grabs a chair, pulls it around, gets about 12 inches in my face, and, well, tell me something about you. I thought, well, okay, <laughs> you know, I've got to back her up a notch. And so I jumped through all the hoops. And so the, the second marriage, I'm going to write a book on it, what it's like to go through the second up. Anybody that's in their second, third, or fourth marriage, God bless you. There's a God in heaven. He loves you. And please don't get bent out of shape about it. And sometimes you realize it's not a vote. I finally had to sit my family and say, guys, you don't understand. This is a theocracy, not a democracy. We're not voting on my life. I love you, and I raised you up, and got you born again in the spirit field, fixed your crooked teeth. Put you in a private school, got you to a private college, paid for your wedding, paid for your honeymoon, bought your first two cars. Merry Christmas, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> but my four kids that got married, I told every one of them at their wedding that I paid for, which I was glad to do. Every one of those at the wedding, I said, put your door key in my hand. And they said, what? Your door key to the house, put it in my hand. I said, don't you ever come back to my house unless I invite you. I love you. I got the canceled checks to prove it. I love you. I've had a good time with you. But you're now an adult, so don't ever come to my house unless you call first. And when you call and say, Dad, hey, can we come over and see me? I said, sure. When you come to my house, you bring food. <laughs> you're not eating my food. Bring your own, and you leave the leftovers. And then, when, and then you need to go home before it gets dark, and you take your children with you. <laughs> now, Angel, I don't agree on this, and she's got a different deal, so I'm going to have to buy one a bagel and put it in the driveway. She said, no, the grandkids will come over and spend a lot of time with us. Well, not when I'm there. When, I, when it comes time to go to sleep, I'm going out to the motor home, get me a cup of coffee, watch whatever I want to watch. And I'm not going to have kids jumping on me to 3 o'clock in the morning. I'll come back when the sun comes up, and I'll take them everywhere they want. I'll take them to the zoo. I'll buy them ice cream, and I'll spoil them rotten. But when the sun goes down, I'm going to my room by myself. <laughs> and so we're still growing together. <laughs> and I'm going to tell, I just want to say this real quick. When you get married the second time, and you know it if you've been married before, it's nothing remotely even close to the first marriage. You're not looking to replace somebody. People tell me when I got married, well, you're trying to replace your wife? No. I had a good one. She went home, and I cried for six weeks nonstop. Then I woke up one day, six weeks later, and I stopped crying. I haven't cried since. I haven't cried in two years. And people would ask me, do you miss your wife? Now, I'm trying to be as honest as open as I can. People ask, well, do you miss, you mean the woman I was married to for 40 45 years, dated for 47, sucked lips off her face. We were virgins when we got married. I'd never really dated anybody serious except her. And she went to heaven. I said, do you miss her? I said, no. You don't miss her? No. You ever think about her? Before God is my witness? No. And I don't, you know. The kids came over because they wanted all the family photos. So we'll take all of them. Take whatever's your mother's. You know, I love her, but she's gone. I, I, don't, I don't build monuments to dead people. Your mother's in heaven. She's having a really good time. They're having, 
I don't know what they're doing, but they're having a really good time. She's really happy. She's not thinking about me. <laughs> when I get to heaven eventually, and I will, I'm going to look her up and I'm going to hug her neck. Hey, sugar, how you doing? Hey, I want to meet Angel. I got married after you left. Been a really good time. Y'all get to know each other. Because in heaven, you're not married, nor is you're giving a marriage. We're all just like cousins. And so, it's on this planet. This planet's a different world. And so, when I try to tell people, it's like, I am so happy. I've never been, I love my first birth, but I've never been this happy. Uh, Angel has been a gift from God. We are total opposites. She doesn't look anything like my first wife. She's nothing like her. She's a gift. She's smarter than me. She's got more anointing than me. She's like, she saved me in every way you can imagine. I mean, even for the last year, everything about my ministry is just almost quadruple. Uh, she just knows stuff. She's real calm. She never loses her temper. She, matter of fact, it makes me nervous she gets real calm. Well, Joe, I said, that's not good. She's too calm. That's not good. Because that, well, the way it was in the first marriage, and she, I'm having to learn new things. And so everything's grown. And uh, it's almost like God's letting me know, Joe, I'm not through with you. Everybody else was through. They thought, they thought well, I, I'm just going to drop dead in a few years. Because you know when you lose a spouse in an older age, the average length of time is five years for a male. Average man in America, if he loses his wife, give him five years, he'll be dead. And so I thought, good Lord, I don't want to die. I don't live a long time. And so I got remarried, and I'm, I've been, I've been, my fire's been stoked. I've never been so happy in all my life. I, I, we, we had never, <laughs> we met at the Naples airport. She was doing, she's on a board with a group that helps handicapped adults. They do plays around the country. And she's on the board, they do a great job. And she happened to be in Naples last year when I was there. And so she said, Joe, I'm going to be in Naples. I'm in Naples. Well, I think I'll come by the meeting. Well, come on over. So she comes to the meeting. Great church. My former pastor's there and the three other ministers. So we're doing this week-long thing for ministers. Angel walks in. I haven't seen her in 12 years. She walks in and she waves. I said, hey, I haven't seen her in 12 years. And I wave. She's all across the auditorium. Well, the pastor's wife, who is a real good friend of mine, I've known her for 25 years, makes a beeline for me. Who are you waving at? I said, I'm waving at that lady over there. Well, who is she? I said, her name's Angel. What? Yeah, her name's Angel. Her and I worked together years ago. Well, does she know you? Oh, yeah, she knows me. We haven't seen each other in 12 years. Well, what's she doing here? Well, she's coming to hear me preach. And so she made a beeline for Angel. I thought, oh, help me, Jesus, what have I done? I've unleashed a she-bear from hell. I'm... I, I like it. I'm really, I, it's hey, you know. And so she, so she invited her to stay for dinner. It's only the guest ministers and their wives and me and Angel. And we got to sit right next to each other with my former pastor. And everybody loved her. And so they brought her in three nights to feed her to try to check her out. And I thought, I didn't have to do this first time. This is a different deal the second time. So those of you who are going through a second and third marriage, you just have to smile really big and you have to understand something. God's still God. He orders steps direct passing. You don't, need, you don't need anybody's approval except God. I told people, I heard from God the first time I got married. I heard from God the second time I got married. Now, somebody needs to hear this. I'm trying to help you out. God is real good. So, I remember when my first wife passed away, I, looked, I spent three months looking up scriptures. Whoever lost a spouse in the Bible? Well, the average length of time that God allowed you to mourn was 30 days. Day 31, he said, shut up, get up, we got stuff to do. And I know some people make a God out of somebody that passes away. Well, they're not. They were human. They went to heaven. You didn't. You're still here. That means God still has something for you to do. Get busy. Get busy doing something, living. Quit mourning over something that's it's not worth mourning over. And we make a God out of the dead sometimes. Well, they died. Did you like them? Oh, a bunch. What happened? They lived. And so, I still have to answer questions. People ask, you know, every weekend, well, do you miss your wife? No. I got a new one. Completely different. 
You know, totally different. But she kisses really good. I'll let that sink a minute. You know, I can't tell this. My father-in-law, I'll tell part of it. My father-in-law came to one of my marriage seminars when he was 95. My mother-in-law was 89. When I do my marriage seminar, the last session's on sex and marriage. And I thought, I thought, oh, dear Lord, my father-in-law's here. Oh, I, I can't hold back. I got to teach what I came to teach. It's all scripture. So I taught it. So it's in Chattanooga. And a lot of people are coming up, talking, and we prayed for a lot of people. And he's waiting. I thought, oh, dear Lord, he's coming up here. Here he comes. And see, why? he's in line. He looks like Clark Gable, except he's white-headed and he's old. And so he walks up and got his hat on. And all of a sudden he comes up and he reaches his hand out. I thought, well, what, is he going to slap me, cuss me? What's he going to do? And he starts shaking my hand. He looks left. He looks right. He says, you know, we still do it about once a week. <laughs> I said, please don't tell me that. Now, the point of me telling you that is that you're going to be in love till Jesus comes. Abraham's wife died when he was 100. He'd been believing God for a baby for 100 years, finally had one. Well, he got remarried, and he had six more kids. I'm sure somebody asked him, do you miss Sarah? He probably said, who? It's a good book. By the way, volume two's not coming out. God's hanging with volume one. It's a really good book. You ought to read it. It's loaded. So anyhow, here's what I'm going to cover. This is real, this is real practical. This one. I like this. Um, I went to Israel on my third trip. Third time I went to Israel uh, just last year. And uh, I love going to Israel. Uh, I love Jewish people because they're mean as snot. And uh, I never met a poor Jewish person. Ever. Every Jewish person I met is filthy, stinking rich. Uh, uh, I got a guy, I go to New York every year, uh, guy's church, and he has a, a Messianic Jewish guy. He believes in Jesus, but he's Jewish to the core. He comes to lunch. I go to lunch with him every year, once a year in December. And I remember a few years ago, I thought I had the boldness to sell. I thought, I know this man well enough. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, what? I said, how come you people have more money? He said, what people? Jewish people. We don't have more money. Sure you do. Everybody knows Jewish people are filthy, stinking rich. I've never met a poor Jew. He said, no, we don't have more money. We just keep more money. Why would you get it to keep? He said, Joe, how many holidays do you celebrate in, in America as a Christian? I said, I don't know. He said, seven. Christmas, Easter, New Year's, Thanksgiving, with a Christian connotation. I celebrate seven holidays as a Jewish boy in America. All of them are reminded that nobody likes us. I said, Father, what are we celebrating? Purim, what's that about? Esther, what's that about? They almost killed us off. That's not a good holiday. Let's get to the next one. Hey, what holiday is this? Well, this is Passover. What's this about? They almost killed us off. Every Jewish holiday is a reminder that nobody likes us. So, what that did for us is this. The difference between your son and my son, when your son's filling out a good resume, my son will be filling out a good business plan. When your son's trying to get a job at the company, my son will be buying the company. And that's the difference between me and you. And I thought, man, no wonder nobody likes you people. You hear arrogant cut. While I'm driving back to the hotel, I thought, oh man, he's right. He's right. Now, I've taught him parenting for years. It's real simple. We're to train up the next generation. Children are a gift from God. They're temporary. They came from God. We're to train them and give them back to God. They're not permanent party. The goal of a child is to launch them out as an adult. That's the goal. Not to hang around for You want to visit every day? Come by. Call before you come. Bring food. But hey, I'm trying to help you become an adult. And so we have no concept of that. So 
We're in Israel. Now, Israel is made up of a hundred different nations. There is not one Jew. You can't put a poster, well, here's what a Jew looks like. That's not true. Jews are from everywhere. When they got scattered, they were scattered to the four corners of the earth. So there's, there's Romanian Jews, Russian Jews, uh, Czechoslovakian Jews, Canadian Jews, Brazilian Jews. They're from but they're coming home. They became a nation in 48, and they're coming home. It's part of the last day prophecy that the Bible talks about. And so when you're in Israel, everybody's a Jew. they different colors, shapes, sizes, but they're all Jewish. Now what you have to do as a, as a Jewish uh, citizen, you have to serve the first three years in the military. Uh, if you're born there, when you turn 18, you go into the military, male and female, you serve three years full-time in the military. And then you're off, uh, then you're in the reserve until you're 55. So you can walk to Tel Aviv, go to the mall, and it's, they're all really nice. You go to the mall, go to the hamburger place, and there's, it looks like teenagers sitting there, got on the tank tops, the flip-flops, and chewing on a burger, and they got an Uzi over the shoulder with two clips of bullets on their belt. Because everybody in this was armed. They're, they're all on. Now, there's been a lot of stuff about gun control, and I'm not going to get into that. Now, I understand what the deal is, because there's nasty everywhere. But, do you know, Israel has the lowest crime rate in the world. They'll tell you every time you go, how long have you been here? Two weeks. Well, where are you from? And I say, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they'll tell you. They send the people from the, you know, government out to tell you. Well, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, since you've been here, there have been five robberies in your city, three murders, and so many rapes, and they'll just list. You know how many people have been robbed since you've been here in Israel? No, none. You know how many stores have been robbed? None. You know how many been raped? None. You know how many have been killed? None. We are the safest nation on the face of the planet. Uh, I, I've been to a lot of you know, places off the coast, you know, islands, of, a lot more dangerous than Israel. Why? Well, they're all trained. And they all believe in their country. Nobody burns an Israeli flag. They believe in who they are and what they're doing. Their nation is the size of Rhode Island. Rhode Island. You ever seen Rhode Island on the American map? That's the whole nation of Israel. And even half of that's being debated about right now. When you go up to Lebanon and go all the way around to Egypt, they are outnumbered 400 to 1 by their enemies that are their neighbors. 400 to 1. It'd be like me when I was a school principal being out on the playground. They say, we got a problem. You got to come out on the playground. There's a fight on the playground. Well, dear. And I go out on the playground, and all of a sudden when I walk out, here's 400 kids over here on this side. And there's one kid on this side with real thick glasses. And I say, is there a problem? And the 400 kids say, he's picking on us. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? He's picking on us. I tell the people, if everybody hates the Jews so bad, why don't you just lock arms and walk to the ocean and it'll be over in, in an hour. Well, they can't because that land was given them by God. And you can't take it away from them. And they're very happy and they're very healthy and they're inventing all kinds of stuff. And they got the, one of the best militaries in the world. They love their country. Well, it's not all that. They love each other. So when we're up here, we're up here at the Lebanese border. I'm teaching on family. Now, I, because the guy I go with, he's been 40 times, we can get into places most people can't get. So we're, we're in this little place there right on the Lebanese border, and there's the barbed wire fence, and, and uh, you got to wear the flak vest, the helmet, and they send you way up on the tower so you can look down the Lebanese border. When you're up there, they show you. They have divers, ocean divers. There's half a dozen, 24 hours a day, in the water at the border of Israel and Lebanon, underwater. They have satellites. And if you go down three floors underground in a bomb shelter, they have 12 TV sets. And you're looking at these TVs, what are these? Well, these are from cameras, satellites. We're looking at our enemy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, in that bunker, these 12 TV cameras, they have 12 humans looking at it. And they work on six-hour shifts every day. They're on full-time for six hours, and they're off the other, 
you know, 18 hours. And then six hours, they're on. They're staring at screens, and they're watching everything's happening. What was amazing when we were in there, so these are the secret service of the Israeli military. This is a secret service. Well, they were all female. And they're none over 23 years of age. They're all female, and they're all 20 years. And they're trained to kill you really quick. But they're very friendly. Hello, welcome. Glad to be here. God bless you. <laughs> we ate lunch with them, and we stayed and had dinner with them. The point is that some people believe in what they're doing. What's happened to the devil? He's, the devil stole our hope. People are mad at the Democrats. They're mad at the Republicans. They're mad at races. They're mad at the government. They're mad at everybody. Nobody's the problem. You only got one in him. He's called the devil. He's already been whipped. Jesus went into hell and put his foot on his head, took the keys of death and hell out of his hand. But if we don't learn who we are in him, in whom in Christ, we're going to be depressed until Jesus comes. Well, I'll be glad when the economy gets better. It's never going to get better. I read it into the book. It's going to get skanky, but not for us. We were taken out of the kingdom of darkness, placed in the kingdom of God's dear son. We're going to be the head, not the tail, above it, not beneath everything we're standing going to prosper. God will surround us with the shield of divine favor. The Bible says people can like us and not even know why. I think I'll give you a raise. Well, go ahead. I'll take it. I think we're going to hire you. Sure, that'd be good. I had one of my daughters cry one time. She got a job at a bank right out of college, made straight A's to county. Big bank. And they start off at a good salary, and they promised her a raise every year. Well, three years, she's got no raises, and she's mad. So I go to her house one day, and I'm going to pick up something, and I walk in, and she's sitting on the couch with her Bible open. She's crying. So what's wrong with you? They're not ever going to give me a raise. They promised me three years they'd give me a raise. They're not ever going to give me a raise. Really? I'm going to quit Give me another job. Really? Who's hiring? I thought the economy was down. Who's hiring right now? I must have missed that in the paper. Somebody hiring right now? Where is it you're going to get this job? And, and, and so she's just so emotional. I'm, I'm just going to quit. They're never going to give me a raise. I said, well, I love you and I'm your father. According to Matthew 18, 19, I set myself in agreement. I plead the blood of Jesus and I bind the devil. In Jesus' name, you will never, ever get a raise that bank. Many people will get raises, but not you, honey. I love you. What are you saying? I want what you want. I'm your father. According to Matthew 18, 19, I've set myself an agreement. In Jesus' name, you will never get a raise. Many will get raised, but not you, honey. I promise you, I agree with you. You'll never get a raise. Then don't say that. Then you quit saying it. Quit talking stupid. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Let the poor say, I'm rich. Call them things that be not as though they are. Somebody's got to say what God says. Not what you read in the paper. Mitch and I were on the same church staff, but I know how many times we're coming for coffee in the morning. And Pastor Mitch, he moves quick. He doesn't stand still anywhere. And he's done that for years. And we were coming, and so you come in, people getting coffee, going to their office, and you'd ask, hey, did you see the news this morning? Did you see what happened in Afghanistan? Did you see what happened in Zimbabwe? Did you see? I said, no, we, I, I read my Bible this morning. I hadn't seen the news. These are spirit-filled Christian staff members. What are you feeding on? The Bible says you better take thought about what you look at, what you watch, what you read, because out of the issues of your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth, and that's going to be your life. But think on these things, whatever's lovely, just, honest, praiseworthy, good report. Think on these things. Don't think on stupid, because stupid's trying to exalt itself against the knowledge of God's Word. I deal with only Christians in my family. Those are the only ones we'll call. And I, it just takes long. I said, what have you been watching? What have you been reading? Because it's coming out of your mouth. What you feed on is coming out of your mouth, and that's the quality of your life. Life and death is the power of your tongue. You better start saying what God said. Well, I'll believe it when I see it. Then you'll never see it. If you don't start saying it, that's not going to happen. I told them parenting. I said, yeah, I told my kids, come home with another F and Al just said, bless your heart. You know, because it's private school. I pay for that F. 
That's your heart. You know, you got the mind of Christ. Yes, you do. You got the mind of Christ. You got a blessing. Hey, God. One kid came on, she had, she had an F again, second F. That means we got two Fs for the two semesters. I said, well, i tell you what. Now she thought I'd yell and get upset, which I have done before. I said, you know what? We used to go to the kitchen, and uh, Mom's make some chocolate chip cookies. Get you some milk and chocolate chip cookies, and said, uh, uh, I, I'm going to come spend some time with you. I, I, I need to meet your teacher. I was supposed to meet your teacher the first year, and I got busy. And according to this paper, I got to meet her now. And I should have met her the first year, and, and I know I should have been helping the algebra, and so evidently I've got to now. So you go eat some cookies and milk, and I'm going to help you with the algebra, and it's going to turn out really good. Well, my wife come running into the room about five minutes later and said, what did you say to Corey? I said, I told her I was going to help her. Well, she's crying. She said, Dad's gone crazy. Dad's gone crazy. No, I, I'm going to try to love her and help her out. And she did pass out. And it turned out really good. It's what we do, not what we say. About let the redeemed the Lord say so. But then you have to get up and put some action. Faith that works is dead. Faith that works is dead. So it's a real short sermon. And here it is. We talked about vision in the first service. You really need to get that. It's a good thing. First, you've got to have a vision. Where there's no vision, you perish. What do you want to do in life? Nothing. Then nothing's going to happen. Where do you want to go? Nowhere. Why? Well, I didn't finish school, and my daddy left my mother, and my mother never left me, you know. My coach wouldn't play me, and my boss fired me. My dog hit me. People, looking, they're looking for the, you know, that's why the lottery's such a big thing on every, every town in America. Hey, lottery's up to $18 billion. You know, go buy your ticket now. Quit doing that. Why don't you believe God? You just need to believe God. God will supply all of our needs, give us divine favor. It's not your, listen, now I, I have a degree. I believe in education. But your degree will not get you a job. I collected over 1,200 biographies from my high school students one time. In 10 years, 1,200 biographies of people who became millionaires and billionaires in the United States who never finished school. Most never finished elementary school, but they became millionaires and billionaires because it's your gift that God gave you that makes room for you, that makes you wealthy, that brings forth great men. Not your IQ, not your GPA, God's gift in you. I don't care if you can't walk and chew gum. You have a gift from God or God lied. God can't lie because we're still here. So everybody's gifted. I remember my one daughter that was a season at best. She's the only one of my kids that did not go to college on a scholarship. Five of my kids went to college on full scholarships. One didn't get any scholarship. So we're with the university. Her younger sister's getting a full scholarship. They gave her a 25% scholarship for being related to her younger sister. And I thought, well, I'm there. I got to say something. We're all thinking it. And I said, hey, isn't it good? You got 25% just being related to her, man. That's pretty good, isn't it? And so we walked in and said, honey, you got a gift. I just don't know what it is. I spent 18 years trying to figure it out. I don't know what you're good at. You run your mouth a lot. So, you know, see if you can sign up for journalism or something. And said, so take your camera and take pictures for the yearbook staff or the newspaper. Because you can volunteer and your film's cheap. For two years, she volunteered to take photographs for the college yearbook and the college newspaper. Two years later, she's going into her junior year. They called her because that guy had graduated. Hey, would you like to take over the college paper and the college yearbook? You've been volunteering for a long time. It's really good. And she ended up with a full scholarship the last two years. Well, her scholarship's in journalism. And so I hired her when she got out of college. And nobody, the kids didn't know what I thought. Everybody knew it. So we're sitting at a Thanksgiving meal, and we're talking at the table, and there's a lot of conversation. Corey and I are talking about the publishing company. And one of my daughters said, what are y'all talking about? Uh, Stone Bluff Publishing. Corey and I owns a publishing company. She owns a publishing company? Yeah, she's part owner. Does she get paid? Dear Lord, I hope so, because I need to get paid. <laughs> and well, why did you hire me? I said, what's your major in? English? I don't need an English major. What's your major in? I went around the table. Accounting. I have an accounting. What's your major in? Interior design? 
I said, I didn't hire her because she's my daughter. I hired her because she has a major in journalism. Her gift made room for her. Now, when y'all are in high school and you're getting all sorts of awards and all-state basketball and all-state soccer and you're a straight-A student and the honor roll, she's not getting deadly. You say, well, bless her heart. God has a great sense of humor. Not everybody blossoms at age 18. Some don't blossom until they're 50. But God's gift will come to fruition if you will let him. So quit going through life. Why do, I had so many young people, why don't I have that? Because you don't, doofus. You're you. Quit trying to, and I told the kids, get the posters off the wall. I mean, my basketball boys, man, we had all the great guys on posters on the wall. I said, listen, you need to get magic off the wall. Magic's a good ball player. He's talented. He's tall. He can jump. You can't. Because I, I caught them getting in the gym one day. I'm going, I'm going home to school. And they're in the gym after basketball play. And they had taken the, the ladies' trampoline and their little women's exercise thing we had at church. They had a little women's trampoline, that little circle thing. And they had lowered the basketball goal down two feet. And they were going to the dead run across the gym floor, hitting that thing, boom, and slamming that basketball. I said, get that goal up to the man's level. You don't play at the sixth grade level. You play at the man's level. And get rid of that trampoline. You're going to slip, break in that case, acting stupid. Quit being what you're not and become what you are. Find out what God called you to do. So what Pastor Mitch does in this class, I did with our students. I gave three tests the first week of school every year. Uh, academic skills, uh, you know, what's your gift? Your gift will make room for you bring before kings. Quit trying to be good at what you're not good at. So I, made, I told my high school kids, you're not taking trigonometry because you, you, you stink at math. I said, if you ever build a bridge, put your name on the end of it because I'm not driving across it. You have a gift, and that's not it. But the devil has got us off from the minute we leave our mother's womb. We've listened to the lies of mostly family members. Man, you're dumb as dirt. You're not going to mount the hill of beans. I don't know why we even had you. Man, go to your room. Shut up. And we thought, we're nobody. So we have to overcompensate and show off and peel our tires out of a red light and wear our hat backwards and the bridge of a 400-pound man. i got to prove I'm somebody. Well, then do that. Quit acting stupid. Become who God made you to be. And one thing I learned about Jewish kids, you know, they have a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, bat mitzvah at age 13. They celebrate the fact that kid became an adult at age 13. The rabbi brings him in on Saturday morning, grills him about the five books of the law, and he better have it pretty well memorized. Then they're going to have a full-blown party, full-blown extra people dressed in their finest clothes. They're going to put a beanie cap, on, beanie cap on that kid's head, put him in a chair, dance him all over. Well, they're celebrating the fact he just became an adult. But most Americans, when you turn 13, shut up, go to your room, get out of my face, we're letting you out of here. And we wonder why we produce stupid. Our mouth produced it. Let the redeem of the Lord say so. Call those things to be not. So I'm running out of time, but I'm just going to throw this at you real quick. So you can go to my website and download all this stuff I'm going to throw at you. This is, uh, this is I'm going to give you one, one line off this thing. First Timothy. First Timothy, you know, this is old. First Timothy 6.12. Without faith you cannot please God. Without faith you can't with the devil. You need faith as a weapon. The weapon of what? It's faith. What I get, I get by faith. If I have the devil, I resist him by faith. So it says this, fight the good fight of faith. Now, it's in high school. I've been in fights. I've been in fights that were good and fights that were bad. The only fight that was good is the one I won. I never, I never lost a good fight. I won a good fight. If I got beat, that was a bad fight. So evident God expects me to win. What's it going to take? Well, it's going to take faith to do that. This is in Ephesians 6. I'll just read the two lines off each, each line. This is real good. This is the armor. It says, this is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on God's armor. 
stand against the strategy of the devil. We're fighting against evil spirits, fighting against mighty powers, fighting against spirits in the heavenly places. Put on every piece of God's armor. Resist the enemy in the time of evil. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth. Uh, put on the uh, helmet of salvation. You know, take the sword of the Spirit. All of them are words to do something. I tell my kids, when you leave home, people don't care that you're a Christian. They're like, hey, are you a Christian? Hey, can you do this job? I told my kids, you volunteer every time somebody asks for something. It starts at church, by the way. My kids never did anything that volunteer. My kids were never in youth group, but they volunteered in youth group. Every time they need a work day, you're going to be done. We're going to mow grass. We're, we're going to rake leaves. We're going to clean the walls. We're going to clean the toilets. Every time God needs something, we're going to be first in line. I want you to get in the habit of volunteering. I've seen more kids in school when I was a school administrator. Hey, anybody want to do this? What happened to you, kid? They've been made fun of their whole life. They're just trying to blend in. They're afraid to stick their neck out because I'm tired of being made fun of. Well, the righteous are as bold as lion. The wicked flee when nobody pursues. You need to stand up and become something for God. Stand up and become something for God. Because God's trying to show off. He doesn't need an IQ. He doesn't need a GPA. He needs a volunteer. God looking for somebody to show himself stronger. Get your hand up. So I told my kids the whole life, you volunteer every time somebody asks for anything. You be the first hand that goes up. When I was in the Army, people said, man, don't raise your hand. Basic training, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. We've been running. Our buttons are wore off. We've crawled on our belly so much. I've eaten dirt in my lower lip. Man, I'm crawling and crawling. One does say, hey, we'd like anybody to volunteer to be a truck driver. There's 120 of us at Fort Campbell. 120 men in a thing. Anybody want to volunteer to be a truck driver? I thought. And we're all in the, all in the M rows, McGee, McGuire, McCorkle. And so, because they put you in by name. I raise man. Hey, man, don't raise your hand. No, I guarantee, I don't know what it is, but it sure better crawling on my belly. I'll drive something anywhere. And three mothers volunteered. Only four of us out of 100 volunteered. We went to truck driving school. You know what they do in truck driving school? They drive trucks. It's truck driving in a truck driving school. I never crawl on my belly. You show up, they talk to you normally. Hey, stupid, get on your belly. Hey, how you doing this morning? This is our five ton. This is our two and a half ton. And we're going to be doing this. Learn how to back them up, whatever. And they brought lunch to you. They brought you a nice lunch. You didn't have to understand. eat. You had an hour to eat lunch. And they talked to you at the end. Hey, how was it? Any questions about that? Yeah, I like to have a question. It was the greatest thing I ever did in my life. I learned to drive a five-ton truck without crawling on my belly. Why? I raised my hand. And people say, how'd you become an engineer? Well, I realized that, you know, they had a bid board downstairs, and it's a union shop, 300 people, Chattanooga, Ola Masses. And if it made 10 cents an hour more than I made, I signed my name up. I would sign up. They said, hey, McGee, you better, better go check it. Somebody signed your name up for that job down there in that part of the plant. Man, it's hot down there. Got molten aluminum. Man, you don't work down there. The foreman, he's mean. He's the devil incarnate. I'm not going home with him. I just work. I have a lot of hobbies. Work's not one of them. I work for cash. And so in three and a half years, I went through that whole plant, and I'm at the highest paid. I'm a furnace operator. People say, how'd you get this job? I signed a piece of paper. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't do that. And then one day, one day, I saw a guy walking below me. I'm on the mezzanine furnace, 20,000 pound molten aluminum. You, you, know, you only work an hour out of eight. You've got to empty that furnace and wear an asbestos coat, and it's hot, and you're like standing over the pit of hell. But outside that, you're in, a huge, you're in front of a huge fan drinking free Pepsi for the other seven hours. Really hard. A guy's walking down below it. I said, Hey, who is this guy? He never sweats. He said, Well, he's a lab technician. How come he never sweats? Well, he works in a lab. Where's the lab at? Well, it's down there. I said, Is it air conditioning in the lab? Oh, yeah. You're kidding. 
there's a job in here in the air conditioning? I said, did he make more money than we do? He said, yeah. I got off work, I punched out three o'clock, I go down to the uh, main office in um, front of that plant, and I walked in, and I just saw the reception. Hey, how do you get to be a lab technician? She said, you have to take a test. I said, when are you giving one? Give them on Thursday. I said, can I take it? I guess. And so I signed my name. There were, there were 17 top names. I'm number 18. I signed my name. So I show up Thursday evening. I've been on the furnace. So I'm white with sweat. I smell skanky. I've been on that furnace. Got my pedal, metal tarsal shoes. I walked in. The guy says, can I help you? No, I'm here to take the test. He said, I don't think so, because these are all college graduates with degrees in metallurgy. I can't even spell metallurgy. And so I said, what's your name? He said, well, somebody had typed my name. I look legal. Well, have a seat. So I sit down, and so I went, it's a test of 100 questions, A, B, C, or D. And so I, uh, question one, I don't know that. Question number two, I don't have a clue. Question number three, and they had micrometers. I don't know what a micrometer is. I went to a country school. We had saws and drills, no micrometer. So I thought, well, number one's A, number two's B, number three's C, number four's D, number five. So I was through in 20 minutes. I, it's a two-hour test. I'm walking up, and I'm through, and people said, my God, he's a genius, some kind of genius. <laughs> I had it in. I get a call with my foreman. Hey, McGee, what did you do? Oh, I took a test. Get out there and fix that. You weren't supposed to take that test. So I walk into the lab. First time I've ever been in the lab. Old mess. I walk in. It was like going into heaven. Everything was stainless steel and white. You walk in, it's air conditioning. They play classical music. I never heard classical music. We don't listen to It's classical music. And I walk by and they were playing a game called cribbage. I've heard of cabbage. I've never heard of cribbage. And I go, and I go sit down, and then Steve Radline, he'd worked for NASA before NASA was famous. Got a crew cup puff of my lime green pipe, the stuff the heat shields were made of. He helped him do that. He says, he said, Joe, why do you want to be a lab technician? I said, well, I have a lot of hobbies. Work's not one of them. I work for cash. Y'all make more money than we do. Plus, it's air conditioning here. I like to work in air conditioning all day long. I don't know what that music is. It's better than that country stuff we're slapping to out there. Y'all can actually hear stuff in here. You lose your hearing out there. We OSHA hadn't showed up yet. And so, and plus, you have your lunch delivered every day. We're eating, we're eating that, you know, pineapple cream cheese out there in that machine. That, you won't have a bowel movement for a week off that stuff. <laughs> I'm not making any of that up verbatim. He said, you know, you weren't supposed to take this test. That's what nobody told me. He said, you know what you scored? And he's puffing the pot. You know what you scored? I said, no, I got a 50-50 chance of getting 50. I guessed at everything. He said, you scored a nine. Before God, I thought they rounded it up. I thought, that's pretty good. That, like nine out of 10. <laughs> he said, nine out of 100. He said, Joe, don't ever gamble. You're not a good guesser. And so I thought, well, at least I tried. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? I tried. I'm getting ready to get up here. No, sit down a minute. He said, I got a problem. The plant manager is upset with the lab technicians. We have a liaison problem between us and the blue collar workers out there. He wants to find somebody that's been out there. Now I notice you've run every machine in this plant. Do you not like working here? I love working here then why do you keep moving around? I moved to a job that pays more than the one I'm making. I have a lot of hobbies. Work's not one of them. Well, I became the first non-degree lab technician that they'd ever hired. I'm on the job for two weeks, and I realized that there are three lab technicians on every shift, and one's a senior lab technician. I said, what makes you a senior lab technician? I can do everything you can do. He said, no, you can't run the quantometer. The what? The quantometer. Only two in Tennessee. There's more now, but one, there was Ola Madison and the University of Tennessee. It does a burn analysis, how much copper zinc is in that aluminum and so we do a test before every shift i said i can learn to do that nothing's that complicated so i stayed after every shift and i watched him do that burn so he comes in he said hey we're gonna have, have a guy become senior lab technician he said i want that job you can't do it you can't run the quantum yes i can he went and tested me an hour later plant manager comes down i was the first non-degreed senior lab technician 
because I was there, the new uh, engineer came in a year later. His name was Bill Clark. He was a spiritual Christian. I don't know what it, I don't even know what that means. I'm a backslidden Baptist. So he brings us in the office one at a time, all nine of us. It's my turn to go in. I thought, well, he's firing me. He found out I'm the only non-degree guy here. He's firing me. So I come and I sit down. He said, Joe, are you a believer? A what? Are you a believer? In what? <laughs> well, in Jesus. I said, yeah, I'm a Baptist. All Baptists are believers. He pulls out a pocket Bible and says, well, these signs shall follow them. Really, he carried a pocket Bible, lime green pocket Bible. He's the head engineer of all the masses. He pulls up a pocket Bible. These signs shall follow them to leave. They shall lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I laid hands on sick people and seen them get well. You ever done that? I don't like sick people. I don't get around them. <laughs> My Bible says, these signs shall follow them to believe. So they shall cast that devils. You ever cast a devil out of anybody? I've cast devils out of people. No, sir, I've never seen a devil. And these signs shall follow them to believe. They shall speak with new tongues. Joe, you speak in tongues? You mean like a Pentecostal? Yeah. No, I don't do that. Baptists, we don't do that. He's smiling the whole time. He says, well, you're not a believer. You're going to hell. That'll be all. <laughs> he did it all night of today. Of those nine, seven of us are born again spirit filled and we're in the ministry today. You cut a wide path just being yourself going through life. God's going to open doors to you no man can shut if you'll walk through them. Don't tell yourself no. Make 80 other people say no. 80. Just, no, okay, I'll go over here. No, all right. And then, no, huh? Because eventually somebody's going to say yes. And you're going to be the one that gets the yes because you stood in line and you just kept coming at it. Don't tell yourself no. Make somebody else and make them do it about 80 times. God said, I'll open doors that no man can shut. I'll give you divine favor. It's not your IQ. It's not your GPA. God doesn't care if you got kicked out of kindergarten. You have a gift given by God Almighty. It's still in there and it'll still work if you put your hand to it. Amen. <laughs> 